This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining us on the line, we say good day from theracetalk.com to Dale Rogers. Hey, Dale. Tony, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm fantastic. And we also say good day to co-team principal of Wilkinshaw Andretti United, Bruce Stewart, who joins us on the line as well. Good day, Bruce. How are you? Good, thanks, Tony. How are you, my friend? Mate, I am fantastic. It's uh, been a long time since we've had a, a, a good chat and really looking forward to today. Uh, how's the vibe down there, mate? It, it, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's probably not your best year, but having said that, you just sense that things may be turning around after what was a, a, a not a bad uh, effort down at Philip uh, Philippina. Where am I coming from? Where was the last round? It was, of course, at Winton. Winton. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, look... Um as we know, it's a it's a sensitive ecosystem. You know, the supercars, uh, team land, and uh, how the cars are operating. And you know, um, without running out of party line with you, obviously the, the results uh, have been less than acceptable from where you know our expectations lie. But I think we've shown that we've been proactive rather than sitting on our hands. You know, uh, and you know, letting it lie. Um, and you know, our focus is getting this season back on track. And you know. I guess increase the performance of the cars and um, make our way back uh, towards the pointing end and to the pointing end. Bruce, the, um, the the Commodore teams on NAS, I guess, have, have probably been a bit um, a bit surprised, maybe, by the, the performance of this this new Mustang. But um, it, it seems a current under under thread that the the change in the in the spring setup, the change the cars had to go through over the over the season. May have affected some of the teams. Do you think it's 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 uh, been part of the performance package that you've had to deal with this year? Oh, undoubtedly. And you know, obviously, uh, supercars do their best to um, homologate the cars as best they can. Um, it's relatively an imperfect science, so uh, there've been some tweaks along the way. Um, and you're right, there there have been inconsistencies, I guess, created with the change to the linear spring. Um, and it, maybe uh, it's masked where where we were for some teams, but um, these are you know, growing pains for any Holden team. And um, I guess you know we look at it and use it as strength and uh, increase uh, our focus and commitment to, to getting a better package uh, and pushing towards the front. But certainly they have come out with a hiss and a roar. One of the major advantages of our. Uh... Our domestic championship is the fact that we have such a diverse range of tracks right around Australia. And while that's fantastic for the championship, I'm sort of tipping that that's not great for teams like yourself who are trying to get some sort of consistency in their car and not being able to do that on a on a regular track because every second week you're racing on something different. Well, it certainly makes your analysis of um, every uh, track and every corner and every sector on previous uh, tracks come to play when you look at a new track, doesn't it? I mean, you're dead right. You go from Winton um, and uh, a tight, uh, windy circuit through to uh, Darwin and there's some big straights and uh, loaded corners. But um, Into a street circuit yeah, like the, Townsville, into a, a hairpin yeah, like yeah, Queensland correct. Raceway, down to the expanses of the bend. It just It's ever-changing. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But that's that's what we signed up for and... Um, you know, the boys and the girls in the engineering department uh, work hard and I reckon uh, they put in more, uh, longer hours this year than they did uh, at any time from recent memory because, 
yeah, you, you just look at it and you go, where we've been playing year to date isn't where we expect or want to play. So you just go, we, we're going to throw uh, man hours at it and uh, knowledge and use the experience that you've got and, and try and create a better, better package when you go to a new racetrack. So Darwin, uh, you know, you look at it and you go, well, um, there is a air of uh, what, what's in store for us, but, you know, the work's been put in. We've got to trust and we've got the right people and, and press on. Bruce, your team uh, is now uh, one of the, the internationally aligned teams, dare I say. Yeah. You know, we've had Triple Eight come into the, the, the business, uh, obviously Penske with DJR, and now your alliance with Andretti and United Autosports. What, what, what is the sort of the day-to-day effect that that has? Is it more from an, um, more from an overview or, or are you getting really day-to-day support through that alliance? Well, that's a, that's a good uh, point. You know, so we have uh, two distinctive areas that we work with, with uh, both of our parties. And, you know, obviously you have a commercial side and you've got the uh, commercial guru of world motorsport and Zach, um, Zach Brown. And in that respect, that's a, a massive uh, tool and uh, opportunity for us. And so I work really closely with Zach and his team, uh, but equally uh, our engineering team um, hook up weekly uh, with Andretti and have regular contact with United and we got to opportunities and um, looking at uh, innovation in their space. So, you know, we're really pleased how it's working. Um, you know, it's our, it's our second year, so it's early days, but uh, the first year saw a vast improvement. In fact, you know, when we uh, announced the uh, alignment at uh, Bathurst in 2017, I remember walking into the pits with, uh, and Michael walked in and, you could just feel the the team and the staff lifted another foot. You know, it's uh, you know, this is a game of inches, and everyone's uh, little piece of the puzzle is so important. And um, what you do get is a collective desire. While wow, we're uh, we've got a couple of big brands bolted onto ours as well that uh, we want to represent um, with credibility. So it's a it's a really good thing in a staff sense as well. Well, it's frustrating for mm-hmm. the. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Doug. No, I was going to say just on that point, uh, Tony and Bruce. The, the um, where you are obviously as the the importer or the parent company being the importer of the Camaro, um, Holden in Australia obviously are supporting the Commodore. Yes. Um, it, it's it's widely known, and and Ryan has been in the press is saying that there's a, a massive desire at your team to try and get the the Camaro up and running, albeit yeah. not under the current rules. Um, the, the recent homologations, if you look at Volvo, factory-supported, Nissan, factory-supported, Ford, factory-supported, is it feasible going alone with an homologation package if you are not representing the, the, the actual manufacturer? Good good question. I, I guess, you know, as Ryan has said uh, previously, it, it's, it's currently off the table because... Um, you know, with the current rules and uh, yeah. how, you, how you fit in, uh, you know, a two-door car um, and make it uh, to a level that the manufacturer and the fans and the category would expect is probably uh, a little difficult at the moment. So um, it's not something we're looking at in the short term. Um, if the chassis design is altered to benefit the two-door, well, um, it, it would be something we would explore, but at the moment it's off the table and... Um, it's a fantastic-looking uh, car, and um, you know, having spent a lot of time at HSV uh, with the crew down there, it would be wonderful one day to see it there. But at the moment, um, it's uh, not an option. Just based on that, then Bruce, I want to have a chat to you about the the changes that we've seen happen to the Mustang 
through the season and, and the ground rules, I suppose, changing for those four teams in regards <coughs> to how they had to set up their car from the start of the year to how it actually sets up now. As a team principal, is that frustrating, the fact that it, <laughs> from, from an outside point of view, it doesn't seem like yeah. Supercar's got it right from, from day one? Well, I think it one uh, supercars does a great job trying to uh, create parity and maintain parity, and two, it's a it's a uh, it's a tough job when you're introducing a new shape, and there are some very uh, smart people in the paddock. So, um, as far as did they hit it out of the ballpark in uh, at the start, but perhaps not. But they put their best foot forward and they've made some uh, alterations, and all we can do is trust the process and and go. You know what? Um, the sport is about entertainment after all. Um, the fans want close races and they want a mixture of uh, uh, car brands competing at the front and um, the sport understands that. The guys at Supercars understand that. So uh, we trust that you know, they have the best integrity of the sport at, at mind and uh, we uh, do our best with what we've got and compete hard. So from a guy that's not fully in, in, enthralled in the in the rules and, and the likes like that. I would look at it and I'd think then, does the parity, does the the way they do parity then, does that need to change for the future? And and maybe that, that whole process needs to be extended to the extent where they actually have a Mustang, whatever that might be in the future, coming up against another car that's already in the series and work out your parity from there and see how that goes. Look, um, yeah, again, I just... Um being the commercial guy, I uh, I trust in my co-team principal uh, Matt Nielsen to to be the, at the forefront of of that on our respect. But I agree with you. You you want the uh, the most equal parity, so to speak, so that when you go out and race, you engineer and you uh, use your drivers to get the best result. Um, and clearly, uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk commercial for a moment, Bruce. Um, you've obviously been in the commercial. Thanks, scene thanks for that. Thanks for that, Dave. We'll just just Shavexta just chucking in a few technical ones. Yeah, and very, uh... technical ones. <laughs> and, and I'm the most untechnical of the lot. He's good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you've been involved in the in the commercial side of the sport for many many years, and you've seen a lot of sponsors come and go, and you've brought a lot of, of sponsors into the sport. Um, yeah, are we at the point where? We are too expensive for the commercial market in Australia at the moment in supercars. I mean, we always talk about cost cutting, but it never seems to occur. Are we are we are we pitching too high for the available pool of funds that are in in this country? Uh, well, yeah, I'll answer that in two two ways. Obviously, uh, there are a lot more sports and a lot more teams that we're competing against. So, um, if we're talking about supercars. No longer are we competing against, you know, just FPR, Triple Eight, and and the other teams in the paddock. But we're we're working against the, you know, uh, uh, Tigers and Rugby League and uh, the Melbourne Storm and um, Rugby Union teams. So we have a, uh, well, there's a bigger opportunity for selection between brands. They equally, they're uh, a lot more savvy as to what they're trying to do with the partnerships and how they're trying to target to create demand around their um, brand or product. And I think uh, one is expense is a hard hard thing. We we do have, um, and well, not a relatively expensive, but uh, we compete with the top sporting codes in that respect um, for the sponsorship dollars. But two, we've got some great opportunities where we can innovate and give access to our partners, and you know we try and do that with our our uh, packages. Having previously worked in football, 
uh, in the past, AFL, I know that, um, you know, uh, motorsport and particularly supercars is very, very good at the B2B side of things and creating um, business value through alignment and, um, I guess, um, you know, uh, partners working together to create benefit for their business. So uh, Supercars plays at the front of that and equally Supercars plays at the front in regard to uh, creating unique packages that create access and give um, sponsors more than just a brand experience. It's uh, an engagement piece. Um, It's a huge digital uh, engagement side of our business, uh, video and et cetera, that um, hopefully separates us from other more restrictive codes such as AFL. And the cost side of it then, if, if you are pitching against all sports that are offering, you know, uh, sumptuous facilities at Etihad or the new Oval in Perth or something, and uh, <laughs> yeah. national, but, but, you know, obviously one of the things we've got to counteract, of course, is that the, the experience for, a, for an AFL uh, sponsor may not be speaking to the footballs before they go on field, but they are in the lap of luxury. Good point. Um, you know, and because we're a moving show uh, going state to state and city to city, um, you know, we do have an expense size in regard to whether it's hospitality or ticketing. That's more than your average AFL or NRL club. Um, mm. But I guess it's our job to do uh, make that experience more memorable and uh, utilise the strength of being a truly national sport to take it around around um, Australia and present value on a national basis rather than just the East Coast or the Southern States as uh, might be an AFL. So that's a challenge, though. You're right. You're right, but um, it's a game that we often win. It's a challenge that we often win insofar as um, we do create value um, for a lot of those big companies, particularly industrial mining companies, in areas where they can't get it with the football codes. Mm. Bruce, you and you and your people need to be commended on the, uh, the tactic that you took uh, – and I'm not saying tactic is a bad word, but the uh, the release that you put out a few weeks ago when the the team was probably at its lowest after Perth and uh, the the team coming out and apologising effectively to its fans for the performance of 2019. So often do we see sporting clubs and in motor racing as well, the party lines just brought out, you know, we're, we're sticking to the processes. We know if we do that, things will happen, da-da-da-da. But you guys definitely came out there with a heartfelt apology to your fans and congratulations on that because I, I think it rang a, a lovely tune for those people. Yeah, look, uh, and we, we see the fans in every state and every race and, and, um, and whether it's a fan, a partner, sponsor, or crew members, we all feel the same pain, um, and we're not here to lie down. We uh, we ask ourselves questions. You know, can we be doing a better job? Um, uh, yes, probably. You know, do we have confidence in our team? Yes. So um, the the challenge is: is it easy to change um, these uh, the performance of these cars in a very short period? That's probably a more difficult uh, point. But we've got to inch by inch, meter by meter. Um, scratch and crawl and bite and fight our way back to the front. Um, So the point of that was just to show our sponsors, fans, partners and everyone associated with the team that we feel the hurt. Um, We take it personally, um, but we won't lie down. And uh, I guess, Bruce, now in wrapping up the the end of the season for you, I I guess now is about podiums and and wins. It's 
I mean, the championship clearly is not on the on the agenda for either in teams or your drivers. Um, so I guess the focus really is on the running rounds and particularly the endurance series. Look, um, I'd love to to give you a, a number of where we're targeting in regard to um, how many wins or podiums or you know how where we expect uh, ourselves to end up at the end of the season and you know are we going to focus on the the uh, endurance rounds? But the, the fact is, um, we just want consistency. We need to be proactive and we need to consistently improve um, and keep we'll continue a positive trend that. We, uh, I guess, changed at Winton and proved that's not an anomaly. Where that ends up, I, I, I can't tell you, Dale, but um, certainly uh, we, you know, we're looking forwards and uh, yeah, you're right, we look at the endurance rounds and go, um, we've got to put our best foot forward unequivocally at those, those events. I'm not sure what answer I'll get to this, but I'm going to throw the question out there anyway. Uh, James Courtney well, definitely wears his heart on his sleeve. Scott Pye also enjoys being competitive. Has it been tough tempering their expectations for season 2009 as, as to where the team is at at the moment? Well, uh, the beauty is they're both passionate, uh, successful and competitive drivers. Um, so uh, they aren't lying down. And you can, uh, I'm sure, see it on the telecast if we're not uh, performing to the level uh, we'd expect, um, and that hurts felt by our drivers. And that, you know, um, they want to be on the podium, they want to be at the top step, um, and uh, they uh, expect, like us, to be doing a better job. So uh, it has to be a good thing. Passion is a good thing. Like if if our drivers uh, were complacent or well, that, yeah. that's where we're at, um, I think you've got a bigger problem. No, exactly right. Uh, no one should be sitting back in, in any team that's not performing at the moment no. and just accepting what it is. Uh, you guys are doing your best you can and hopefully better times to come ahead. Bruce, we really do appreciate you being involved with us uh, this week and having a chat. Hopefully things can turn around quickly for the guys Thanks. at uh, WAU. Well, we'll be putting our best foot forward and let's see how we go from here. But thanks, gents. Appreciate uh, coming onto your podcast. I'll be a long-time listener, first-time caller, but um, that's great. I'll be listening in from there, so uh, all let's, good. Let's not leave it too long next time. Good on you, Tony. Take care. Thank you, Bruce. Bruce Stewart joining us here on The Grid. Oh, my God. Ready? Oh, my God. All right, Dale, Richard Crowell joins us on the line now as well, of course, from the racetalk.com, powering on The Grid. Hello, Richard. Hello, boys. Uh, I, I understand you've had a very good chat with Mr. Stewart from Walkinshaw and Trinity United. Yes, it was Indeed. a good chat. It was, a, and you know what, Dala? It's it's a tough one, isn't it? They they want so desperately to do better than what they're doing, but what I, I could get that sort of sense from Bruce that as as hard as they try, it's just not that easy. Well, it's not, and we, we we've spoken the last couple of weeks about the Commodore teams on mass, I suppose all really scratching our heads a bit uh, at, at some time in the year and we, we, we I think we thought that Erebus and, and BJR were the two that were probably the ones that were the most consistent but the other ones have all struggled so um, mm. uh, the changes over over the season have, have really affected all these teams in different ways um, so yep it's it's a tough gig uh, and there's so little in the time it's uh, you know you, you, you're a couple of tenths and you are down a long way on the grid. Is it a tough gig and, and the final question on this before we move on to other things is it a tough gig due to the fact that we have engineered these cars so dramatically that mm. they're just not a car anymore. They're they're more. A, you need a NASA degree <laughs> to to actually work these things out. 
Yeah, but I, I agree. There's probably an argument, and, and we'll dive into this more as the year goes on, as, as they start talking about the, the next set of regulations that are, are probably very, very critical set of rules for the, the future of the sport, I would have thought. Um, yeah, look, they're, they're incredibly technical things to develop, and, and we've covered that at length this year with the changes to the spring and the damper stuff that, that has affected Triple Eight, especially so much, and other teams to varying degrees. So, yeah, it, it's a complicated sport. You've got to look at it from a Walkinshaw point of view that it took Roger Penske three years before his team became what you'd define a regularly competitive force in supercar racing. And this is this is one of the biggest, most successful, well-resourced, talent-filled, genius-filled race teams on the planet. So, it, it, if anything, it, it's a kind of strange backhanded endorsement to the sport here, how competitive it is, that it takes someone like Penske so long to win. So, of course, a team like WAU are going to have battles in getting back to the front because it's so fiercely competitive and it's so knife edge between being first and being 15th that um, it, it sometimes takes a little bit longer than you'd hope. So, I think we all agree the sport needs that team to be competitive because they've got such a good history and a long heritage going all the way back to the late 1980s as the Holden Racing Team. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. See what happens. It'll happen, I'm sure. Let's uh, focus on what happened, though, on the weekend. Some fantastic racing down at the Shannon's oh. Nationals at Phillip Island, guys. Oh, boy. Uh, I reckon in a couple of years, when we look back at PCR Australia, a couple of years into the journey, just to take stock to see where it's at, to see how strong it is. I think we might look back at, at Phillip Island as one of the defining moments because it was an absolutely cracking weekend of motor racing, uh, not just TCR, the Porsche Missile and GT3 Cup Challenge was off the shelf as well. But from a TCR point of view, yes, there was some damage. Uh, you don't want carnage, you don't want damage, especially in a new championship where they're trying to build the grid, not write cars off. But, man, when they were racing, they were racing hard. It was wheel-to-wheel. It was door-banging. It was immensely entertaining. Uh, and it was, I think, a real snapshot of what TCR in Australia can be. So you reel in the damage a little bit, just pull it back 10 or 15%, and you end up with a really, really high-quality product that's going to bring people through the gate. It's going to get people watching on TV and, and get people wanting to be involved with it. So enormously uh, enjoyable to be part of that weekend and to see it all unfold and I think it bodes well for the remainder of the season. And Dale, we've seen some great racing on such an expansive track as Phillip Island and once they start getting onto some smaller tracks, one might think it's going to be even better. Well, Tony, I think we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that, uh, you know, wouldn't it have been great if it started at Winton or it started at QR and we were actually saying to you, we hope Phillip Island uh, shows the best of these cars. Boy, were we wrong there. Uh, these cars were sensational at Phillip Island. Um, what, I, what I was very impressed was that you, you had some some really, really, you know, seasoned talent in there, James Moffat, Garth Tander, uh, you know, right up against some really young chargers who've got a lot of, uh, a lot to, to, to make in the sport. Uh, so you've got a great mix of drivers. I've never seen a Subaru go as hard as, as the way Heimgart is driving it. <laughs> there are so many stories in this grid at the moment, and yeah, you know, the addition of the Tanders was great. Uh, mm. Garth Yincar's shot of Garth uh, having the biggest lose ever at uh, at turn uh, three was extraordinary. But the racing right through the field was fantastic. And I, I, look, I've got to take note of it. We we hoped that TCR would be good when hit we hit the shelf here. 
you know, forget the competition of supercars. It's got nothing to do with it. This is a great category of touring car racing. Um, and, uh, you know, can only go from strength to strength. The word is there's more cars on the way. Uh, 18 cars down there. The grid looks healthy. You know, it, it, it doesn't look like it's a, it's a small grid. And the racing is just fantastic. And uh, it's just great to see the, the opportunity for some of these young guys to really perform in a, fan, in a world-class product um, you know, in, in a great series. So, uh, you know, I can't wait to see them at the bend. And yeah, Richard- 100%. And on, on that, Shebex, uh, the, the car counting, there's two new Hondas inbound for wall racing, of course. Uh, they may need to press one of those into service for John Martin, depending on how bad his car is after that hit with Dylan O'Keefe to start a race three. Um, Garth Walden's pretty confident his two Hyundais will be on the grid at the bend. So they're, they're targeting 22 cars for that round. But they may get 20, 21 perhaps, but like the, the, the depth is great now and, it, and it's really starting to build. And, and on the point of what the young drivers are doing, you know, we spoke to Garth Tanner on the show last week and uh, he probably played his chances down. I think we all knew he was going to be fast, <laughs> and he really was. He was awesome to watch. And the fact that he was jumping between the Audi RS3 from Melbourne Performance Centre to the R8 GT3 car, mid-mount V10, 550 horsepower, all the aero in the world, 10 seconds of light difference between the two of them, and he was electrifyingly quick in each car. Just continues to prove how good Garth Tander really is in anything he drives. So that was great fun to watch. Um, the, it was that awkward, uh, I don't know if you've seen the meme from The Simpsons where those awkward moments where they're pulling on their collars going, ooh, yeah. uh, when he and Leanne got into each other down at turn four, that was, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was a little bit awkward, but at the same time, it was actually quite amusing, I have to say, but, um, uh, you didn't want to see Leanne's weekend ruined because I, I think she did a super job. She was sixth fastest on Friday overall. Um, and had she not had dramas earlier on, I'm convinced she would have been in the top seven or eight for most of that weekend, if not further up. So, yeah, so many great stories. And, and you touched on the young driver side of it. I think arguably for all the experience in a Dalberto and a Moffat and a Pitha and those guys, it's Dylan O'Keefe and it's Will Brown who have been the stars of this for me because Will Brown, we, we know, had a really good track record. Dylan O'Keefe had a decent Carrera Cup career without blowing it apart, um, Matt Campbell style. So... Um, for him to jump into that alpha and do such a superb job has been enormously good for him. And Will Brown has just backed up what we all knew or we all suspected in that he's yeah. a, a real talent and he's just he's just a great dude to have on the field. He's a fun young guy and he's like a strange mix of Garth Tanner and David Reynolds and I don't know who else, Jamie Winkup, I suppose. But um yeah, really, really promising stuff. And the young talent around, and we'll talk about this in just one sec. There's one more question I want to ask about TCR, but the young talent around at the moment is amazing through uh, mm. Super 2s, through Super 3, Formula 4, the like, even Formula Ford and what that's brought on in, in some of the kids that have moved uh, over to Indy and the like. And It's just great. But just a quick one on TCR. The other great thing about it is is that now we can basically run TCR in our region for 12 months of the year the fact that uh, TCR New Zealand is kicking off with the same promoters as TCR Australia which means that yeah. we're going to have some sort of crossover in competition uh, which is great. Well it, it's about bloody time because for so long it's been what four decades and Dale you, you'll you know in all the nicest possible ways you have seniority in the group uh, you would remember the Tasman series better than Shebex and I perhaps, but um, for so long we've had opportunities to link New Zealand and Australian motor racing. They should be linked. They should be linked at the hip. 
because the cultures are the same. We've got the same approach to motor racing. We've had the same background. We've raced each other for years and years, but it's been so long since we've had anything resembling a, a category that could cross over and do both things. Even our Toyota 86 series are different specifications. So we can't take our field over yeah. there and race them against the Kiwis because they don't compete head-to-head. So finally, we've got a category that is copy and paste on both sides of the Tasman. And I'm seeing Tasman series. I, I want to see a head-to-head between the New Zealand How series good. and the Aussie series, two rounds, one over there, maybe Pukkoe, one here. I don't know. Phillip Island would be a great place. Maybe Bathurst if they get the fifth Bathurst event that's being talked about. How good would that be? Mm. And that would do great things for the sport on both sides of the Dutch, I would have thought. Well, Richard, unfortunately, I do remember the Tasman series. <laughs> I, I did attend many of them. Um, but what it also did, uh, even when it was in, in, the, in the form of the Thousand Days and the Rothman series over the eight rounds, it also allowed things like the South Pacific Touring Car Series to come on board. Yep. So you had three rounds. So it, it enabled the summer period where the open wheelers obviously were the highlight, be it the, the, the Formula One summer and then when it went to Formula 5000. But it opened up great opportunities for a major support, a short, sharp major support series. So, you know, this could really open up the summer thing. We've been talking about it, but I agree. I think, you know, to have a couple of rounds in New Zealand, a couple of rounds in, in Australia, uh, you can see S5000 all of a sudden appearing on this, or Formula 5000 for that matter. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a huge New Zealand-Australian uh, relationship with that category. So, yeah. you know, from a, from a summer promoter's point of view, if this thing headlines it and you've got 30 cars, you know, we've got Fantastic. some great, potentially some great summer racing. Yeah, and Shebex, they'll, they'll run their own thing, obviously, and it, it's slated to start early 2020 over the, the Speedworks event summer series, which is where Twitter Racing Series, which we should also have here, uh, runs. So it'll be a short, sharp Kiwi calendar. But the other thing is, is that it'll give our teams here. So if you're Barry Morecambe and HMO Customer Racing, you're David Wall and you've got a couple of Honda sitting in your shed, you're Troy Russell with your Audis and your Volkswagens, you can amortise the cost of your cars over more races a year. So rather than them sitting dormant in an Australian off-season in three or four months, throw them on the boat, send them over to NZ, put them to work over there, make them be earning your team money, you keep your people employed and busy. Um, there, there just doesn't seem to be many downsides. There's a cost issue, of course, getting over there and back, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not significant. So, yeah, it, it's probably the more, most positive thing that could have happened was the same management running both series. It's the most logical thing. And I'm just so pleased that there's finally collaboration between the various bodies on both sides of the Tasman so we can get some common sense and um, and some real trans-Tasman Aussie v Kiwi rivalry so we can actually beat them at some form of sport because uh, they're just as good as us in cricket at the moment. They're better than us in rugby, so yeah. uh, we need something over them, I think. It just <laughs> makes sense. It certainly does. Uh, while, while speaking of good young kids, uh, as you mentioned, Porsche career, uh, Porsche GG3 Cup down there at Phillip Island as well, and uh, uh, a lovely weekend. Oh, it, it's and, I, and, pardon the, of, and pardon the pun. No, no, I love it. Uh, it it's, uh, it's one of the great series this year, and that and Super 3 have exploded. They've both got seven young junior drivers having an absolute 15 out of 10 cracks. And, uh, yeah, Michelin GT3 Cup Challenger. Aaron Love, 16 years of age, graduate from Formula 4, um, powered three, won two of the three races. They're all heart-stopping races, absolute thrillers. He's the third different winner from three rounds in that series this year. 
His big brother Jordan seconding Prairie Cup Australia. They're racing this weekend in Darwin. Um, so for Nikki and Ian Love, the parents, they've got a bit on at the moment because their kids are both kicking goals. Um, but just great racing. And you, you touched on the start, the young talent everywhere. And it really is good at the moment because there's these kids in TCR doing really good things. Carrera Cup is super strong with juniors. Cup Challenge is great. And then, of course, you've got Super 3 and Super 2. So there's plenty of young talent out there at the moment, and a lot of them are kicking some very, very big goals. Dale, uh, anything else impress you from the weekend down at Phillip Island? No, as I said, I think the TCR thing for me was the highlight. But the, 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 the flip side of that was, I think, you know, small grids in Formula 4 and uh, GT again, yeah. you know, probably lets the side down a bit. Uh, and the disappointing thing was the Formula 4 racing was great, Dale. It was really good racing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, but you know, you, you, on a track like that, you, you've got to have cars. You know, you, no, you, you can't do. be running seven mate cars around. No, no exactly. Yeah, right. the, the G, GT's a concern for mine, and, and we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, um, GT's a concern. Yeah, I mean, 14 cars for a, a, a three-hour slash 500k race at that place, like you said. In, in the end, it actually wasn't that great a race, and just the way the strategy played out, it was close-ish at the end, but you get those sometimes. There, there was no problem with the depth of the field, and... You know, even if they had another ten cars, the depth was the depth, and and it probably wouldn't have been any more competitive from a race point of view, and that's fine, and you get that. But it, those those races need twenty cars minimum to make them entertaining, yeah. and um, yeah, they they they're going through a really hard time at the moment, and and the new management, uh, Trofeo, who own it, and uh, David Vardy's taken over as category manager. They've got a job to do to get some confidence back from the customers, and the comp- customers are those that own the GT3 cars. So they need to encourage them to get back on the grid and support the series because it's just not financially viable to run a series that expensive with Correct. 13 cars at around. So um, they need to work on it. Uh, as for F4, yeah, I, I don't know what they do. I feel for Richard Emery because he's inherited something that's uh, that looked good on paper at the Grand Prix and, and looked good with a grid shot with 18 cars, but the reality was that they're really only... 10 of them that were seriously there and um, well the net result's been the last two events have had 7 and 8 cars respectively so uh, yeah I, I don't know what they do that's uh, that's a real head scratcher uh, Moving uh, on to other things that happened over the weekend and a, uh, a penalty to Sebastian Vettel well, became the highlight of the race, didn't it? In the end, and, and the uh, the response from Vettel, and then the response, I suppose, from Hamilton in putting Vettel up on the top step with him and the like, and and the response from everyone in regards to this penalty that was handed down uh, 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 to take the race off Sebastian Vettel. Dale, I'll go to you first. Uh, Michael Massey and his team, did they get it right or wrong? Well, look, there's, t- there's two things to look at, I think, Tony, to answer that question. One is, if you want to get the rule book out, and read each word singularly, pontificate over each word, they got it right, because that's what the rule says. That's not the way to administer, I don't think, the sport. Um, the rule was written if Vettel had have speared off the track, spun, and then just come back on at a dangerous point, yes, that's a penalty. Um, he was sideways across the grass. He had two options, a concrete wall on the left or a concrete wall on the right, and he was threading a needle at 130, 140 miles an hour. Uh, on grass with the car sideways. Now, it's uh, come out today. Two things have happened today. One is that the FIA said they had a camera view that we weren't shown that said that they could they ascertained that he cocked his head to the right to check the mirror, and in doing that, he moved the car to the right to block Hamilton. You know, 
you, you can read in that what you will. But even though the the, the race uh, said that the, there was no that, that you know a, a time penalty in the race is, is done and dusted, Ferrari are going to appeal it, and they've lodged the paperwork. Well, they are in the process of lodging the paperwork, and they they are going to appeal this result. So I don't think it'll change. And I think it was it, it, personally from the sport point of view, I thought it was a poor decision. But also, you know, Vettel, he, he certainly could he have got on a bit shallower, possibly. But for me, it was a racing incident, and yes, we've seen it a thousand times. If we're getting to that point where it is so litigious and in the way the rules are going to be read or administered, we're not going to have people racing each other. So I've got a couple of opinions on this. You'll, you'll be surprised to know. No, not at all. Um, yeah. One, uh, not Michael Massey uh, to make the call. So he refers, as the race director, refers the incident to the stewards. So the stewards make the call. Uh, Piro and, and the two stewards made the call. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and they, they do their job. And like you said, Dale, they, they followed it to the letter of the rule. That is the rule that has been written, and they followed it. So they, yep. they're only doing their job in the rules that allow them to do it. Yep. It's it's as simple as that. So poor old Piro, who's a legend of the sport and has done amazing things. And I think from everything I've read in the intervening couple of days, he's highly respected in his role. Um, he's, so. he's been shot down a lot of this when in reality his hands were tied and and it's a three-man band it's not just him on the tools either so there's there's more to that three what what would have happened if Vettel had done exactly what happened but Lewis had passed him or got a great run because of it and jammed it down the inside of the hairpin and passed him or as a direct result of Vettel coming off and Lewis uh, if Lewis had have got past, then what would the result? Would they still have been a penalty, or would they no. just let it go? Because we'll let it go. Yeah, let it go. he lost the spot. Exactly right. So that needs to be taken into account. And the fourth thing for me, and and this comes from a frustrated Formula One fan, and especially a frustrated Formula One fan who is sick to death of Ferrari dropping races this year. Sebastian Vettel could have avoided being penalised if he hadn't fired the thing off the road. It, that's what it comes down to in the end. It's another unforced error from Ferrari and the five-time world champion uh, that ultimately drew him into this circumstance. See, the penalty was wrong. I agree with that. I don't think he should have been pinged. But in reality, he made a mistake. He fired the car off the road. Uh, he wasn't penalised in terms of having a crash or losing a position. So he was penalised for making the mistake or the car having an issue or whatever it might have been. He was penalised by the stewards instead. That's that's the core of this issue in the end, um, is that he shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Now, that may be being hard to Vettel and Ferrari, but their track record this year is horrendous in giving up Grand Prix. They should have probably won. Can I, I, ask I think, Richard, the, the only thing that you add in there is that, that if you look at Hamilton's, the gap that Hamilton had on him, Mm. Um, he was definitely in the position around that lap 49 where he was probably at the peak of his chance to actually stick one in on Vettel. Yeah, um, and Lewis, Lewis, and, and that's what so he, did, he was under pressure. There's no question about it. He was yeah. under pressure. And, 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 and Hamilton was doing what Hamilton does brilliantly. He was stalking him and he was closing in. right onto him. And Lewis told the media afterwards he pushed him into a mistake, which is why I, I never understood why he drag Sebastian up onto the top step of the podium because if I was Lewis, I'd go, well, I forced him into an error. He cocked up and I got through and I got the win, whether it was by overtaking him or not. 
that's irrelevant because the stewards did the job for him. So, so the, that, that surprised me as well. The question I'd like can to ask make, is... Can I finish up one thing on this? Yep. You know, mm. This is for me is the highlight. I love the, swip, the switch of the two, the one and the two. Yes, I thought that was yep. fantastic. So much fun. Yep. But you know as well as I how anal the FIA are on about podium celebrations and the pomp and ceremony that goes with the finish. Yep. They did not send a gopher out there to swap them back. They left them there the whole time. Do they really? Uh, so the whole, of the, the whole of the presentation, the whole of the time where the podium was on, the world cameras were on, they left the two and the one in the place of Attila put them. And I just Amazing. thought that was extraordinary. For, yeah. for, a, for, a, for an organisation who, if you sneeze on the podium, you get fined. Mm. So it was fantastic. My final thought on this is, and what, they, what I believe the stewards should have looked at, would Mercedes have protested had they have not given the penalty? Of course, I think they sent the email straight up to, to, yep. to, to Michael straight they did? away. Okay, so there they, you go. Uh, fair enough. They, they, they'd immediately sent the email, and, and, and of course they would, and they should have. I mean, yep. you know, yep. let, let's not take any away from Mercedes. They did, and they should have, and, and it was, so they, they, they've already lodged it and said, hey, we want you to look at this. Yep. So they didn't, they didn't sit back. So, okay, fair enough. You know, in, I, in, I, the same, in the same way that Ferrari had to appeal it, there's no way that they, they could sit there and no. not put the appeal in. Yeah. It, it, it won't. It won't get up. They're not going to change the result of the race. It won't get up. No. I so guarantee the, that. But they had to. They had to put the notice in just if only to go to their driver, who's probably pretty frustrated with life, and going, Sebastian, we're doing what we can to try and turn this around. Yep. yep. So the other controversy Tony, out of the weekend. One, one thing. Yeah. One thing. On can I, we talked last week about manufacturers' championship and how Renault were absolutely nowhere. They are now two points off fourth place. Yes. So <laughs> how quickly a game can change. And they that, are. They've, they've jumped ahead of the of racing point of Haas, uh, of everybody else. They're two points behind McLaren without a shocker, so they are now genuinely competing for fourth place in the championship. So and that's where the other controversy is, isn't it, Dale? Uh, due to the fact that uh, Ricardo's teammate, Nico Hockenberg, upset for the fact that he wasn't allowed to be given the opportunity to pass Ricardo, but the team coming out and saying, we needed to get maximum points, and we may mm. not have got that many points had you have passed Daniel, because Daniel might have been susceptible to other drivers. Yeah, they did, right, they did the right thing, and they they and they also put a vote very clearly to to all and sundry that Daniel is the number one driver. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I agree with you. I, I think, and, and he's probably done that himself in the last couple of races, and that he's just after a few quiet performances at the start of the year, he's got this car dust in terms of what he needs out of it, and he's been doing his amazing job in qualifying and out qualifying Hulkenberg and out racing him as well. So Dan's just doing his own thing in establishing the the hierarchy there. So sure. Hulkenberg can be a very competent number two driver for a long time if he wants, but I think Dan's number one there. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, focus on what we can expect this weekend in Darwin. Boys, before we wrap it up, Richard, you go first. Uh, I just, I've got the shorts out, mate. I cannot wait. Just a bit of warm weather. Love the event. It's my favourite trip away of the year. Um, it's a fantastic racetrack. Really good. Look, I think it's probably going to be more of the same. Uh, the the Hidden Valley is a circuit of, of two parts where you've got a 1.1-kilometre-long front straight and then in, what, 1.6 kilometres, you've got 14 or 15 corners jammed in after each other. Um, so it's a real compromise between straight-line performance and handling. There's no reason to expect that the Shell Fords will not continue to be right at the very front. But um, I'm, I'm going to go for David Reynolds' result this weekend. I, I reckon he's going to win a race. There you go. There you go, Dale. Uh, Well, I'm going to put Shell V Power in my car on the weekend and I'm going to stick some Penrite oil in. That's my tips. Oh, Oh, gee whiz. There you go. Who uh, says sponsorship doesn't work? 
No, exactly <laughs> right. No, it works perfectly. All right. And, uh, of course, we've got Porsche Carrera Cup up there as well. Richard? Yeah, uh, just a few quick little tidbits on that. Uh, Jordan Love's won five races in a row. If he wins six, he equals uh, Craig Baird's record of six wins in a row set back in 2006. Uh, the record is eight. That was set by Jim Richards in 2003. And if Sonic win the first race at Hidden Valley, they will have won eight races in a row, which will equal the record set by Jim Richards racing in 2003 for most wins by a team in a row. So there's a few key team efforts. The other thing to be watched will be young gun Cooper Murray. He's shifted across to McElroy Racing for the balance of the season. Uh, looking forward to seeing how he goes. Very highly rated young guy. Haven't seen the best of him yet so far um, in a new environment. Champion team. Uh, I'm very interested to see how he goes. So lots to love in that championship. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's properly competitive. Certainly is heaps to love. Dale, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. No worries, Tony. Well, have a great week in Darwin, and uh, we look forward to seeing some great racing up there. And I'll see you in a few hours' time, Carlsey. I cannot wait, Shebex. The beer is cold, the sun is warm, and it's a great event. Excellent. Please make sure you text me the address of where we're staying so I've got somewhere to sleep tonight. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got no idea. Good. Thank you. Uh, talk to you later, boys. Thank you. Cheers. All the best. Another episode of On the Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. We'll catch you again next week with a full wrap of what happened up in Darwin.